what could have my career been like if I actually control my blood sugar? Because I would actually purposefully make myself high to cut weight when I was <laughs> in high school to when I wrestled, which I don't recommend. If you're in a fact, wrestler, do not do that, please. Yes, yes. But I'm going to tell a story because this is, this is the whole point of this. Is oh, yeah. We can be really technical, but at the same time, we're – Real life happened. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. What is up, everyone, and welcome to the Diabetes Podcast, where we discuss how to take control of your health and gain the freedom to live the life that you deserve. I'm Gary Pano, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Grady Donahoe, who is a board-certified chiropractic internist. Hello, Diabuddies. Welcome back to another episode of the Diabuddies Podcast. We're glad to have you back. That's right. That's right. So today, I'm pretty excited about this this episode because it's one of the topics that really gets me going because it shows the importance of why we do what we do every day. Why me and you, Garrett, why Mm -hmm. we work so hard to maintain our blood sugar. So we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about the importance of maintaining blood sugar. So our mm. short-term whys and our long-term whys. And there's a lot of different topics in here. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. What do you want to talk about first? Well, you know, I don't think we need to beat a dead horse. Um, last episode, we talked about the brain a lot, or at least mm-hmm. I rambled about the brain. Hopefully people understood it. But um, brain power is obviously a big thing. But just mood and emotion, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that is a really easy one to see because it's really easy to see your mood change when you have low blood sugar, number one, no, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can see your mood being changed from high blood sugar. And then you can see your mood like having this lagged sluggish effect from either one afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it's not fun. No, not at all. <laughs> um, when, when I've had low blood sugar uh, and just everything, at least for me, when I have low blood sugar, when it's really low, I know you've talked about you kind of like see white spots, I think. Yeah. Sound gets so sensitive for me. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And it's like everything becomes so much louder. I'm just like, everyone, just shut up. <laughs> I, I can't handle all the sensory input. Yeah. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting when you think about it, if you're trying to understand then, you know, just how the cochlea and, and all that other fun stuff. But in general, you know, when I have low blood sugar – um, that, that gets affected. And so therefore my mood in that moment is that, affected, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I think right off the bat, making sure your blood sugar is stable. So you don't dip low and have weird reactions or say weird things when you're mm-hmm. low blood sugar yeah. Sorry for what I said when I'm low. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just going to say, you said that it's not fun, but sometimes it's fun for other people because mm-hmm. Or at least for my family, that's what they would say sometimes because especially when I was younger, I'd get real loopy 
and real silly. Mm-hmm. Sure. And if I was acting kind of funny, they'd be like, all right, Grady, you need to check your blood sugar. You're getting kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's the closest thing to drunk yeah it's the closest thing to drunk i've ever been <laughs> right for anyone dr grady is a saint and he's never had alcohol in his life <laughs> but yeah i've, I've had only a couple times where i thought i actually like legitimately felt drunk with low blood sugar and i just like was so laughing giggly and just laughing that i was eating apples and peanut butter like it just was such a weird 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 feeling you definitely do weird things when you're low yeah definitely um, which isn't a good thing because if you're in the middle of your practice of being a chiropractor or middle of a meeting or mm-hmm. just anything you don't want to be doing that kind of weird stuff yeah um, and then on the reverse end you know your mood can be so angry at least for me i've definitely been angry when i've had <laughs> a high blood sugar oh yeah and i've been lethargic mm-hmm. and i've just been like upset and it's just a, it sucks because it's like, I'm, I know I'm fine, but at this moment I have to act as if I'm not because it's, that's just what's been present in my life right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had so many emotions going through, you know, either highs or lows, especially with the highs. Cause I'm like such a perfectionist. I just want to be perfect all the time, mm-hmm. but you know, that's just not possible with type one diabetes you're mm-hmm. you're inevitably gonna have that high or low and when mm-hmm. i see that high number especially when i think i've done everything right and i mm-hmm. still see that high number pop up man it really that really sets me off that's one of those things that um i don't really get too emotional or or mm-hmm. you know show a lot of emotion mm-hmm. but when my blood sugar isn't right that's one thing that will really set me off and, it's, and then it's frustrating then too. And then it's, mm-hmm. you can either be mad at yourself or upset or sad or depressed because then you feel like a failure. If you feel like you're doing everything right yeah. and you check and you're like, what the heck is going on? And it's just, it's just so upsetting mm-hmm. that it's happening. I think for me, often that happens. I feel like I'm doing everything right. And then it just ends up being the site. It's yeah. like, I ended up exercising correctly. And my doses were actually correct. You know, I ate appropriate, but for hours and hours and hours, my blood sugar rises, you know, kind of like that, that squatting story I told a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And then it was the site. And it's like, it's not even something that necessarily I did. Yeah. It was, a, it was something else that was not even like fair. Like, I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it can, your emotions around and just in general then. So, you know, we're almost talking about our reactions to our highs and lows. Yeah. But there is really no good documentation of how having these influxes of highs and low blood sugars actually does affect your dopamine mm-hmm. and your serotonin and your GABA and all these other neurotransmitters. Like, yeah. And I actually, I did find something that said that depression is actually three times more likely in people with diabetes. Mm. So do you think that did the study say it is because of the blood sugar or did it like give any explanation? It didn't really give any explanation. That's just something that I found looking today. Mm. I mean, I would feel like it would be a little bit of both. Yeah. I think it would be like the psychology of it as well Mm -hmm. as the the neurobiochemistry of how the inflammation from high blood sugar or low blood sugar and all those cytokines then affects the production of all these other hormones. And so then you're battling these emotion swings on two different fronts, Mm you know? Yeah. And you can't catch a break, especially when, you know, 
again, you think you do everything right or you're as, as best educated as you are. Yeah. And yet you're just riding these highs and lows. So short-term goal, <laughs> control your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So your, your emotions are a little more stable. And yep. this is for men and women. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and the other side of the brain power um, as far as high and lows go, mm-hmm. like I really notice, and I'm sure you do too, that when my blood sugar is low, my brain just doesn't work very well at all. Like mm. trying to you know get my words out or trying mm-hmm. to just think about something even as trivial as brushing my teeth in the morning. Like what, what's my next thing that I should be doing getting ready in the morning and I can't think of it because my blood sugar is low. Or, um, mm-hmm. And then that just gets amplified when you have to do more demanding tasks. So if you mm-hmm. have to work with a patient or provide care to a patient, you have to be thinking about a lot of different things at once. And if your blood sugar is low, it makes it pretty hard to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, when my blood sugar gets low, and just my brain power. It's, I used to tell, especially like when I was in junior high and high school, I used to call myself a functioning diabetic, like a functioning alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> like I used to pretend that even with low blood sugar, I could still do everything the same. Yeah. And that's clearly not the case anymore. No, no, no. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely my brain power definitely goes way down and my words are hard to say. And I like to, I try to then like act as if, I'm still in control. I'm like, I'm sorry. I have low blood sugar. Just stick with me. And I keep on trying to push through and in reality. I should be like, sorry, I'll finish this sentence in like five minutes. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what? And that would probably be a more appropriate thing to do, but yeah, it is what it is. But you know, on something similar then, you know, in terms of brain power and then emotions um, is then if you do have these highs and lows and are emotional, then you can get really tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, energy, right. Yeah, definitely. and your energy and your ability to sleep is drastically affected mm-hmm. by your low blood sugars, um, and or just high blood sugars too. And you know the mm-hmm. quality of sleep. I really wish I could have a whoop. I'm not sure if you have a whoop or Grady or if you know what a whoop even is, but it's a great bio tracking like watch oh, that really? like that tells you so much sleep data. And I really wish I had it because, and then I really wish I could compare that data to my CGM data. Um, which would be really fun and interesting, mm-hmm. but a reason to maintain your blood sugars is so you have better quality sleep just mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. And along with the energy thing, like I notice this mostly when I'm driving because I'm mm-hmm. really hyper aware of my energy levels. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fall asleep. And <laughs> when my blood sugar is dropping, it doesn't even have to be low. If it's dropping really fast, my energy, like I'll get really sleepy. And then mm. I'm like, but then on the other end of the spectrum, if it's rising or if it's high, I'll be, I'll start to get really sleepy too. I'm tired. And I'll notice that even mm. when I'm doing other things, like, you know, going out th- throughout my normal day, if my blood mm. sugar is high, I tend to be fairly sluggish and um, sleepy. Yeah. So with, in terms of, you know, the energy while sleeping, I actually used to be diagnosed with hypersomnia. Mm, yeah. And so what hypersomnia is, is essentially it's just a grade lower than narcolepsy. And so I did sleep studies um, a while back and I would be falling asleep at the wheel, like 
when this was happening, I was actually doing marketing and sales and I was driving my car. That was like 40 hours of sales and 20 hours on top of that for driving and things like that. Wow. So it's a bad time to fall asleep at the wheel when you're yes. driving for, for trying to do sales or something <laughs> like that, right? And my left side of my face, my cheek was swollen because I'd be driving so much and I'd be falling asleep. I'd be slapping myself repeatedly wow. over and over again and try to stay awake. And um, I, so I did these sleep studies. I said, I have hypersomnia. It's not necessarily um, narcolepsy, but it's pretty dang close. And so I got put on this medicine and kind of helped out for a little bit. But I was able to wean myself off of it once I was able to start controlling my blood sugar. That's awesome. On, t- on top of then other lifestyle and diet changes mm-hmm. um, that I've implemented there. But by far, dialing in my blood sugar and my sleep patterns has significantly changed my ability to not get tired while driving. I mean, it still happens. And I am a little more functional in terms of, I know what I need to do if I'm going to do a road trip. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I used to be really bad. I don't know how many times I almost got in accidents or, or hit trees while driving because of my blood sugar and just my tiredness. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you could, and me both have a hard time or have had hard times with staying awake while driving. I know during chiropractic school, I was kind of burning the candle at both ends. And it was kind of a good situation that I was in to where I would wake up really early and go to the gym and the gym wasn't too far from the school. Mm-hmm. And so there's nobody on the road. So I'd like doze off and kind of, you know, drift into another lane, but I'd be fine because there's nobody else on the road. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I've, I've definitely been there as well. Um, and it's just, if you aren't, and this is also another thing too. You know, if you don't control your blood sugar and aren't getting good quality sleep, and this includes highs and lows, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a low blood sugar in the middle of the night, it's a normal response for your body to wake up, send cortisol and say, get me up. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously that's going to disturb your sleep and your circadian rhythms. But if you have the Medtronic 670G, um, that will also wake you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it will alert you when you're low, nonstop. Yeah, I, I have my own frustrations with that pump. It's a great pump, but yeah. it um, a saving grace for that pump for me because it just buzzes and buzzes and buzzes mm-hmm. nonstop. I've actually that, been so frustrated with it, I punched it <laughs> like I'm like, Ugh! yeah, that that <laughs> um, was gonna be one of my uh, burst my beta cells segment. <laughs> was oh, the go ahead. notifications on the on the pump, just mm-hmm. like your pump constantly yelling at you, and it's like, mm-hmm. calm down. I know. I'm low. I'll deal with it. <laughs> right. I was, uh, I've been, I don't know how many times I've been driving and I've had my pump in my pocket. Now I keep it like clipped onto my belt line. Oh, so yeah. it's easier for the situation, but my pump has buzzed while driving nonstop and I can't get to it. Cause I'm like, it's like crazy traffic. I can't like stop to like reach into my, but it's just like, and not only does it buzz like every two seconds and then it starts like goes from vibration to sound and then it starts yelling at you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I know you want me to touch, like, I know you want attention. I know yeah. you're needy, but I yeah. can't give you the attention you need right now. <laughs> I'm driving. I'm sorry. Whereas with, like, the previous model of pump, I had, like, the buttons memorized, so I could just, in my pocket, just hit the buttons without even looking yeah. at it. Yeah. Whereas now yeah. with this one, you have to look at it because you have to hit a specific button, and it changes every time just to unlock yep. it. Yes. Yeah. So that's who burst my beta cells. But I remember I figured this out and then I showed you and I've actually been in the clinic and interacted with other diabetics and show them this function too. 
if you have the Medtronic 670G, there is a silence function. Yes, it's magical. And it is. I almost do it like every single time I go to bed because, yeah. which is like the opposite of what you're supposed. If you are low, you are supposed to wake up. Mm. <laughs> but, but um, sometimes it just buzzes just for no reason, um, and I would rather sleep through the night sometimes and you know silence it. Mm. Um, so there is a way to silence it for a duration of time, regardless of the alarms of high and or high low, and you know, that could be an option if you have that pump to make sure you get good quality sleep. Yep. So, so that bursts my beta cells, but then I guess it reforms my beta cells because I found yeah. a solution to it. I don't know. <laughs> Adapt and overcome. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So what are some other reasons why in the short term, why we should stabilize our blood sugar gritty? Uh, one of the things that I really paid attention to, even before I got into healthcare and, getting into the specifics of all this was important improving physical performance. Mm-hmm. So I didn't necessarily notice this right away, but my parents did when my blood sugar was high, man, it was like I was moving through cement. Like mm. I was moving in slow motion because it was funny. So I, I wrestled for, you know, most of my life. So in high school, I'd be wrestling these kids who didn't have much experience and I would like when my blood sugar was good and you know, I'd absolutely you know dominate the match. But then when my blood sugar was high, I'd be losing to these kids that had just started wrestling. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Mm-hmm. My dad would after the match would be like, man, you were moving in slow motion. Like what the heck is going on? So we'd check my blood sugar and it'd be like, you know, over 200 or something. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, that must be it. Because every time my blood sugar was good, I'd perform really well. And whenever it was high, man, you could really tell that I just wasn't getting out there and getting after it. Yeah. I remember you told me that. And that even like blew my mind. You know, you told me that like within the past couple, like two years or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so obviously I understand by that point, I understood that it dampened your physical, you know, strength and endurance and energy. But I, I too wrestled. Another reason why we're diabetes, not just because we're chiropractors, both diabetic diagnosed around the same time, but we also both wrestled. Yes. But so I wrestled as well. And I never made that connection. And when you told me that, I was like, holy crap, how, what could have my career been like if I actually control my blood sugar? Because I would actually purposefully make myself high to cut weight. <laughs> when I was in high school to when I wrestled, which I don't recommend. If you're a wrestler, do not do that, please. Yes, yes. But I'm going to tell a story because this is, this is the whole point of this. Is oh, yeah. We can be really technical, but at the same time where real life happens, right? Mm-hmm. So I was, I was a dumb kid. I was a dumb teenager. And I realized when I didn't have insulin, my blood sugar skyrockets. And then I lose weight. I purposely put myself in diabetic ketoacidosis, not to the point where I was in the hospital, I've never been hospitalized besides when I was first diagnosed, but I would purposefully take off my pump, eat cheeseburgers, eat pizza. (laughs) I would eat all this junk in front of all my friends that were, you know, cutting away and like dying in the lunchroom. (laughs) And I would lose like 10 pounds in a day. Yeah. And it was, I thought it was fantastic. Oh yeah. I didn't have to worry about it, but you know, I never made the connection about my performance with, you know, it doesn't mean I wouldn't be a superstar because I don't think I would have been. But I never made the connection of my performance with my blood sugar being high and not because it was pretty much always high. I was so uneducated 
and really, I was really angsty about my blood sugar at that time being a teenager. I didn't let my parents help me. You know, I didn't, it was just very much, you know, I have it even though I don't have it. And just because I was a teenager, which is really common. And I, if you are a teenager listening to this, I, you know, I encourage you to lean on your family, lean on your doctors and not tackle this yourself because you mm-hmm. can make stupid decisions like that. Like, you know, I could have drastically changed my career in wrestling. I could have been way healthier. Who knows? My A1C was like around 12, 13 for a couple of years in high school with wrestling because wow. of that. Yeah. You know, so in, the, in reality, that is not just for that short time period. is isn't enough to actually say that's damaged my health. But being holistic minded, you know, who knows what that could have done while it's in such a growing phase of me mm, in high school. Yeah, when you're developing, yeah. So in the reality is that was a really silly thing to do. Um, and I don't recommend it. And if you are a teenager and you're struggling with controlling your blood sugar, there's plenty of things you can do. And I encourage you to, um, you know, see what you can do to just control the best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but that all being said, it obviously affects physical performance. That's why I was so excited when I told the story about me squatting and getting PRs because <laughs> my blood sugar was like 300 or whatever. And I was still able to get a PR on squat. So it's like, wow, what can my yeah. legs do when I'm not high? Yeah. So, <laughs> so again, don't recommend those things, mm. but, um, but yeah, it can obviously affect your, your physical energy, which, you know, is really important for lots of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another thing related to energy is the foods you eat and just overall your appetite. Right. Yeah. So if your blood sugar is out of whack in the short term, um, it's going up and down, up and down. It's going to send, it's going to confuse your other hormones on when you eat and not eat. It's going to affect your leptin, which is a hormone that tells you, you know, if you're hungry or if you're full kind of thing and related to your fat cells, but it's also just going to, um, really, you're going to eat when you're not, when you don't want to eat. And then you sometimes are not going to eat when you want to eat. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. I've had plenty of situations where it's like, man, my blood sugar is low. Again, I'm mm-hmm. so full. Mm-hmm. I do not want to eat anymore. Mm-hmm. I've also had situations where I've been so hungry, but I I won't let myself eat because my blood sugar is so high. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I need to wait till it's down before I need to eat. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's just because my blood sugar is high that I'm quotations hungry because mm-hmm. my brain's just like screaming for that energy because it's not getting into the cell. Right. Like it goes both ways for me. Sometimes yeah. I mistake a, a low blood sugar and it's actually a high blood sugar because sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like craving sugar so much that I'm like, dang, my blood sugar must be low. And so sometimes I kind of act on that and I'll check it shortly after. I'm like, oh crap, I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's always important to check it before you, you know, eat, act on something because you, right. you, those symptoms are fairly reliable, but sometimes your body plays tricks on you. And so mm-hmm. that's why it's always good to get that data first. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the best thing to do if you are full, like, and you have a low blood sugar, you need to not eat complex foods to raise your blood sugar. Yeah. If you're if just in that moment, you know, if you're full and your blood sugar is low, that means eventually the food that you have in your stomach is going to digest and raise your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So this can be part of the issue of overconsumption of complex carbohydrates and just carbohydrates is that it can be slow to digest 
and you will your blood sugar will then be low but then you eat more food and it's just going to spike super high and that plays into the yo-yoing effect right mm -hmm. so if you are full and you have low blood sugar you still need to treat it so really try to do you know simple carbs whether that be you know blueberries berries or be glucose tabs or juice juice or boxes yeah. juice boxes right or regular juice i'm, I'm a grown person grady so i don't buy juice boxes <laughs> you just I'm drink it right out of a big bottle that's what i do right <laughs> right exactly um anyways you know those types of things are probably better in that exact moment um and then i've definitely like you i've done the same thing that's probably the best thing to do if you are high it's probably going to be better for your blood sugar in the in the short term and long term if you wait you know, waiting until it comes a little bit down or else you're going to be fighting um, cortisol. You're going to be fighting inflammation. You're going to be fighting just trying to get it down while then you are increase the amount of carbohydrate and glucose in your blood. Mm -hmm. That's, that's going to be very hard to do. So I've actually, it's been, it's not been fun, but I've been high, super high on Thanksgiving, like before Thanksgiving, like lunch or dinner. Oh, really? And I've made the sacrifice because, you know, that's a first world problems, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but I didn't, you know, I would hold off on eating because I, I would have to get my blood sugar down. Mm -hmm. That being said, I've definitely had meals when I would have been like 220, 230. Mm -hmm. And it makes it way harder to control. Oh, yeah. You know? It stays up way longer. It's, it's oh, yeah. And so it's definitely, you know, when you are high it's definitely better to wait even if you are starving, even if you are fasting all day and for whatever reason your blood sugar is high, you should probably wait for it to come down mm -hmm. um, before you eat. And it's just going to be better control of your appetite in general because then you won't have this weird confusion signals with your other hormones going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, another good reason is uh, fewer sick days, right? Yes, definitely. Because when you have all that sugar flying around, if you have high blood sugar – then it's just an ideal environment for infections to grow and, f and fester because bacteria, they love sugar. Mm. And you got a lot of sugar flying around, man, they love being there. Mm. Makes sense. Yep. Eat it. I was just going to say that on top of the, when your glucose is high and you're feeding the bacteria, you're then also increasing inflammation and therefore not going to be able to fight off because um, the inflammation is going to be different than the inflammation to attack the bacteria. It's mm -hmm. just rather going to be creating a state where it's just going to be further damaging yeah. the tissues and damaging the area. And so it's going to just further promote um, the lack of ability to fight those sicknesses. Mm -hmm. And being a diabetic, your immune system is compromised because of that. Yeah. yeah and would and, you say now having developed more of a healthy lifestyle – do you experience fewer sick days? Knock on wood, but for sure. Uh, yeah. I, for sure, I experience fewer sick days. You know, I still get sick. I think last time I got sick was like, like really sick was like two years ago. Yeah. Um, but I also um, contribute that to my exercise. I contribute that to being adjusted by a chiropractor. I contribute that to maintaining my blood sugar. Um, for sure, all these things um, have been helping me even with a compromised immune system, you know, mm -hmm. um, and even running outside when it's snowing, it, it was beautiful this morning at like 4am when it was snowing and running <laughs> and while I was running and, and, but you know, it, I'm still able to fight that off. Now, given, you know, I'm in my twenties, you know, I'm 25. 
but it's, and I have a healthier immune system mm-hmm. than compared to somebody more wise in their age. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to not use the phrase elderly, especially yeah. in the cl- clinic anymore. <laughs> I just try to say you're at a wise age. Yeah, there you, you know? go. Anyways. Um, but even comparing to just a few years ago when you weren't living a healthy lifestyle and you were still young and healthy, healthy, so to speak, true. Um, yep. you, you're yep. noticing a difference. For sure. Even, yeah, compared to undergrad, absolutely. You know, in undergrad, uh, before I started chiropractic school, I would get sick a decent amount. Um, and that had to do a lot then with the drinking I was doing and oh, the food yeah. I was eating, you know, just everything. So as I've changed my life and control my blood sugar and made all these other changes, by far it's helped my ability to fight off sicknesses. Now, that being said, um, one thing that's really interesting about um, diabetes and controlling your blood sugars is just since it's a microvascular condition, right? I guess it's almost like a long-term why, but your gums and your teeth, right? Yeah. You know, and I actually have a lot of dental issues and, you know, the only thing that we can really think of me and all the dentists that I've seen and other specialists, um, is just because my diabetic and even that I'm really dialed in now, there's a period of time when I wasn't Mm -hmm. and, you know, dental work stinks. Like if you're a dentist or a dentistry student, or you've been practicing in that field for a long time, no, I'm glad you like it, but <laughs> I do not. Yeah. I do not like being a patient yeah. um, of dentistry because when you have dental issues, which I contribute to my genes as well um, and, and my dental habits, but it's just, you know, if, if you control your blood sugar, you're going to have less of a risk of damaging your gums mm-hmm. and damaging your mouth and your teeth. Yep. Yeah, because it so comes I, back to the same thing. You have a lot of bacteria in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Which is fine if it's, you know, the good beneficial bacteria. But mm-hmm. when there's a lot of blood sugar, high blood sugar, again, that bacteria feeds off of that sugar. And mm-hmm. that's why people, you know, dentists always tell you, if you eat a lot of candy, you're going to have cavities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, same sort of thing. If Even if you're not eating a lot of candy, but your blood sugar is always high, there's a lot of sugar around for that bacteria to feed off of. Actually, this is probably a big reason for it too, you know, why diabetics could be more in the short term susceptible to dental damage is you're not controlling your blood sugar. You're in the middle of the night, you're sleeping, you have low blood sugar. You don't want to get up and have a meal. You grab your glucose tabs or just any food for that matter. You're, you have, you pop a couple glucose tabs, pop some food, you chew on it. And if it's, especially if it's glucose tabs, it's pure sugar. Yeah. That's going to just, that residue is going to be in, around your gums. Mm-hmm. And you're going to fall asleep. And so now you have sugar on your gums. Mouth is closed or open if you're snoring. I mean, whatever. But now you're falling asleep and now your teeth are dirty. And that's going to just further maybe damage your teeth. Yeah. And that's probably, or even the same thing. If you eat food because you have low blood sugar, like I used to do in college, I would wake up with Pop-Tarts all over the bed, <laughs> my stomach, and I would have no idea yeah. how that even got there. But um, again, you know, you are then immediately falling back asleep. And that's just potentially, you know, hurting your mouth and your teeth mm-hmm. and uh, which in reality, no one likes to do. Yeah, so exactly. That's actually probably once I had a low blood sugar when I was in the chair of a dentist and I popped a glucose tab, like, cause I had to, mm-hmm. it was like 56 or something like that. I popped like two and he was like, how often do you eat those things? I was like, pretty dang often. Yeah. Like, that might have something to do with it because it's just concentrated glucose, mm-hmm. you know? 
So um, that being said, probably should brush my teeth more too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't hurt it. Yeah. Right. Right. Then along with, you know, gums, you talked about skin and skin can be really affected by blood sugar simply by the dehydration that can come along with high blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Cause we've talked about how when your blood sugar is high, your body's trying to flush that sugar out by excreting it through the kidneys and peeing it out. So if you're dehydrating yourself in that manner, you're going to have dry skin most of the time and it's going to be affected by that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what's an interesting thing to think about too is, you know, how humans are a tube, right? Yep. So in reality, even though it's, it is different tissue, you follow the outside of your cheek, you have dry skin on your face. You follow that all. I actually heard this from Dr. Mark Hyman a couple of days ago, but you know, your cheek connects to your, is continues with your gum. Mm-hmm. Your gums are in your mouth and you then goes to your esophagus. And in reality, your stomach lining and your throat is the, is the same as your gum and yep. your oral health, which is the same as your skin. Yep. Yeah. We're a hollow tube. Right. Um, so if you never thought about that thought, your food is never inside your body. Your food's always outside your body. But that being said, your skin is continuous with your stomach too at the same time, which is a weird thought too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It's weird to think about. Mm-hmm. So if you're having dental issues, it's pretty understandable then you would have, you know, skin issues then too. Mm-hmm. because of your blood sugar. So is there any other things you can think about in the short term, Grady? Yeah, so something that you and me, Garrett, don't necessarily think about very often is actually menstrual cycles and how they're affected by blood sugar and maintaining mm-hmm. blood sugar because research has shown that women with near to normal hemoglobin A1C levels actually tend to have more consistent and regular menstrual cycles than those with elevated hemoglobin A1Cs. Hmm. So does it, did it give a range of what that elevation was? Um, no, it wasn't real specific with it. I'll have to look at it a little bit deeper and see if I can find that. But um, I just kind of quickly glanced over it and, and saw that. Hmm. Um, I mean, I think that's significant that you know, if your hemoglobin A1C is elevated, that you're going to have higher chance of dysregulation of your menstrual cycle, just because that's such an important part of a, a woman's life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a re- reflection on the overall hormones and that needs to be controlled. And, you know, I guess as a man, even that I'm about to graduate, you know, in, in a health profession. Um, so I, I can't sympathize because I don't, deal with that every day. But at the same time, I know that having a regular cycle and a regular flow is really important and kind of hard to do at the same time. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, with predictability comes power. Like if you're able to rely mm -hmm. on something to come up at a certain time or a, at a certain um, span of days or weeks, it's a lot easier to plan around and just, I mean, just being able to expect something on a regular basis is nice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I've seen this in even people who are not diabetic where their menstrual cycles either really, you know, painful or irregular, unpredictable hormones have a lot to do with that. And insulin is a hormone 
And also cortisol has a big effect on that. And we've talked a lot about cortisol and how blood sugar can affect cortisol and your sex hormones. So Mm -hmm. I see this a lot with people struggling with their menstrual cycles that their blood sugar is all over the place. And some of those people have trouble with lots of low blood sugars. So they're on the hypoglycemic end of the spectrum or some Mm -hmm. people, you know, who are diabetic or having troubles with their high blood sugar, whether they're type one or type two. It's not necessary that you have diabetes that your menstrual cycle may be affected. You may not have diabetes and your blood sugar is playing a role in why your menstrual cycle is not predictable or not comfortable. Absolutely. And that has a lot to do with what we've spoke about last episode and how it can your blood sugar and diabetes can be a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have that dysregulation of blood sugar and therefore it'll affect the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think this is also then a really good transition then to talk about long-term wise, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so as a, as a female, your, you know, your sex health, your, your feminine health, and just overall health and hormonal health has a lot to do with your ability then to get pregnant if that is something that a woman wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the health of a pregnancy and just having a clean, good pregnancy, your blood sugar has a lot to do with that. Oh, yeah. And so that is an easy long-term why, you know, if you want to have a, a very good pregnancy. And that can be then same said for the same thing for males too. You know, mm-hmm. males testosterone and their genital health has a lot to do with their blood sugar as well. So Mm -hmm. it goes both ways. So a healthy pregnancy and then therefore a healthy baby has a lot to do with your blood sugar even before you are therefore pregnant Mm -hmm. or trying to get pregnant. Yeah. And even longer term, when we think about menopause and how there's such a stigma that menopause is such an awful experience when it really shouldn't be because it has a lot to do with the balance of your hormones going into menopause and when you're stressing your adrenals because your adrenals have to pick up the slack when you go into menopause because your ovaries mm-hmm. are no longer producing those sex hormones and therefore those adrenals have to produce those. So if we have a lot of stress on the adrenals, then we're not going to transition as well into menopause. So what you're saying is that when you are going through those changes, that your adrenals, they produce, actually produce sex hormones as well. It's not just the ovaries. It's just yes. not the te- testes. It's your adrenals actually pick up for that slack. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so that's another thing just even to consider then when you're talking about adrenal health, you know, your longevity yeah. of your just sex hormones because it's not just cortisol and epinephrine and adrenaline that your adrenals put out, but it, it does a lot with your sex hormones. So the goal is then, therefore, dialing back into what you were saying, is if you control your blood sugar and have a stable blood sugar throughout your whole life, it'll be a little bit easier for your adrenals not to be as stressed when it comes to that transition for a woman for mm-hmm. menopause. Um, and just side note, men can go through a similar phase too and go through andropause. You know, yep. that's that's a very similar thing. You know, the sluggish. You know, forty, fifty. 60 year old male, um, that, that is a very similar process too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So, I mean, I think as a long-term why, you know, as as, you know, we've already said this episode, we're 20 something years old. It's kind of, you know, I'm not thinking about going through andropause right now, or I'm not thinking about low testosterone later in my life. 
but um, you know, well, it's it's funny that you bring that up because oh. early on in my um, chiropractic schooling, mm-hmm. it's probably after my first year. So, for anybody who doesn't know, the first year of chiropractic school is really intense, mm. and I made it even more intense on myself by doing a bunch of extra stuff. But the point is, I drove myself so far. And I stressed myself out so much that I was actually getting into andropause. Really? Yep. I actually filled out an intake form that, you know, was very comprehensive. And there was a section on andropause. And as I'm going through this, like it's not labeled sex hormones or andropause or anything, but I know by the questions that it's asking that it's about that. Because I've had enough, you know, schooling, you know, a year into chiropractic school that I know, okay, this is related to my sex hormones. And as I'm going through these questions, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have like almost all of these symptoms and I'm not even thinking about it because I'm so focused on school and all these other activities that I, the last thing I'm thinking about is my, you know, sex hormones. Mm. And so that was like my first sign. And then I get blood work done on myself and my testosterone was like in the low 300s, which is fairly low, especially for a 20 year, 20 year old. So it doesn't matter what age you are. If you stress your adrenals out that much, then you can put yourself in that situation. Wow. Wow. So I think that's important. Thank you for sharing that Mm because probably a lot of people get frustrated that they are going through sluggishness, male or female. Mm -hmm. And it could be you are just stressing out your adrenals, you're stressing out your blood sugar too much. And it is affecting those hormones. You know, I know for a male, uh, the prefrontal cortex has so many receptors for testosterone. So it's like, you're not going to be able able to think, you know, if you're not able to produce the right amount of testosterone that you need for that given time. And then that's because of how blood sugar that affects that. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that kind of almost then goes hand in hand with, you know, blood flow and circulation yeah, um, just definitely. in general in terms of a long-term why, you know, because the hormones are flowing throughout your blood and, and you've already talked about in the past how sugar is very sticky mm-hmm. and it'll just damage those blood vessels. Um, and easily the biggest complication of diabetes, whether type 1 or type 2, is, you know, heart disease and vascular damage. Heart disease is such a killer in this country and diabetes affects it because of the blood flow circulation, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think I saw somewhere, um, you know, I can't remember if this was in school or when I was reading articles or something, but I think it's, you know, like two to four times more likely to develop heart disease if you have diabetes. Mm -hmm. And then it, and then it was like, five times more likely to die from heart disease if you have it if you're a diabetic yes yes yeah no absolutely and it's just because it's such a starts as that microvascular disease and then just affects all those other functions Mm -hmm. of the heart it just gets bigger and bigger and more of a problem and that's kind of then how it also affects your nerve function and that neuropathy feeling right Mm -hmm. is that you'll end up damaging the nerves and with circulation damage because those nerves don't become healthy anymore Mm -hmm. 
And then that is going to then give that neuropathy feeling and that, you know, that kind of radiating pain, that sensory nerve pain in your fingers and your toes and that stocking and glove distribution that is so classically described. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not only with the pain with neuropathy, but then also the loss of sensation, which is Mm -hmm. a really scary thing. Oh yeah. Because if you can't feel something, how do you know something's wrong? Mm-hmm. And that kind of gets into, you know, how infections can come about in the feet because you can bump something, scratch something if you're walking barefoot, and then all of a sudden Absolutely. you have a scratch on the bottom of your foot and you don't even realize it because you can't hardly feel your foot. Mm-hmm. And then, therefore, you're not going to take care of it because you don't know it's there. Right. So then infection is just a perfect, you know, it's a perfect storm. You can't uh-huh. feel it. You have lots of blood sugar there. So, you know, infections love blood, sh- love sugar. And it just creates a perfect environment for infection. So I was going to say, if somebody already has this damage, right, they already have this neuropathy, you know, is it worth, can you stop in your tracks? Because this is something that takes a long time to develop, right? You know, this, that type of neuropathy and where you literally don't have the sensation anymore, not just the pain, but you know, you can't, you don't have any up down senses. You have no pain senses. You have no dermatomes, you know, all those reflexes are gone, right. Or partially gone. Mm -hmm. So if that, if you, that is you, you know, is that even more like, are you just a lost cause at that point? So I, I will talk from a little bit of experience and then what I've kind of read from some books is that mm-hmm. it's not fully reversible. Like you won't go back to, you know, when you're 20, but mm-hmm. it has been shown that it can regress or at least at the very least stop the progression by, mm-hmm. you know, doing the things that you need to, to maintain blood sugar, but then also some therapeutic things like um, while I was at uh, Logan's um, outpatient clinic, I saw therapies being done like, uh, vib- vibration plate mm-hmm. and uh, cold laser, yep, which helps increase circulation and sensation. So um, I've seen some pretty cool things as far as stopping progression and maybe even getting it a little bit better. Hmm. Yeah, and it's there. Are, so there are some things you can do and try to get a little bit better. And you know, almost at that point, it's like, all right, how can we do? What can we do to the best of our ability to prevent it from getting worse? Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, it's one of those things that, that becomes the goal. That's the shift in the mindset that would need to be happening at that point. But that damage that's happened has already, the momentum's already there because it's taken, you know, those years to develop. Yeah. And that's why it's so important. If you don't have those things, you, you want to, as a long term goal, prevent those from even happening. Yeah. Because once that train is moving, it's really hard to slow down that train. Mm hmm. You know, you were talking last episode about seeing your grandpa and having both legs amputated, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's, that is something you want to prevent for sure. Yeah, um, totally. And not, and not out of, it is a little bit out of fear for sure, mm-hmm. but then you can also reframe it though and say, instead of, I don't want to lose my legs, it's, I want my legs to be as strong and powerful as possible. Mm-hmm. And my, my blood sugar, my diabetes isn't going to stop that from happening Mm -hmm. right so you can switch the mindset if you aren't even in that position yet you know whether you are 10 
years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, 40, 50, whatever it is, whatever, however old you are, you can reframe the mindset of these reasons to not have this damage and you can reframe it to what the potential of what life could be like. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It all depends on what works for you. I know you don't really like the fear mindset and, and I will say that at, at a certain level, it works for me pretty well. But at the same time, I do like looking at it from what my potential can be. So what can I look like when I'm 80 years old? Am I functioning to my you know best ability and I can do all these things, everything I want to do? And that's what I'm focusing on. It, that's, I think that's a really powerful way to look at it. Um, mm-hmm. So it just depends on what motivates you. Um, for me, sometimes it's maybe from a fear mindset of, I don't want to end up like, you know, my grandfather, or I don't want to end up like this person. I don't, you know, I want to avoid that situation as much as possible because I want that function and I want to live, you know, the life I want to live. Sure. Yeah, I know. And I think it really is one of the same when you break it down. I just like to reframe things because I don't like to operate from a fear mindset. You know, I think life is much more enjoyable. If you find reasons to uh, to push you to greatness, opposed to run away from that fear, yeah. Um, and I have a little spiel about that, which I'm sure I'll talk about uh, in a different episode. But um, you know, I think it's and it kind of involves the question of: Are you a diabetic or are you, you know, Grady Donahoe who has diabetes? You know, mm-hmm. um, I'll kind of dive into that thought process a little bit more later. But uh, yeah, so either way you look at it, you know having your limbs, having that circulation, that neuropathy is a great reason to control your blood sugar because you don't want those things, right? Mm-hmm. So if you do have those things going on with the neuropathy and decreased sensation, that's why it's really important to check your feet very often because mm. if you can't feel those things, you want to make sure that you're catching them early because infection can lead to you know, dead tissue or gangrene. And then if that festers long enough, you may end up having amputations, whether that's your toes or then, you know, your whole leg or something like that. So it's important to check those things if you already do have those neuropathies going on. Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic reminder. Um, You know, and some kind of overhead or, you know, pretty classic things that can be damaged with not controlling your blood sugar, therefore reasons to control your blood sugar is, you know, your kidneys and, and your eyes, right? Yep. You know, yeah, those can be damaged. Yep. And I actually found something in one of the books that I've been reading that they quoted a study at the Diabetes Control and Complications Trial and then also the United Kingdom Perspective Diabetes Study. Um, those two things have proven that tight blood glucose control actually does make quite a bit of difference, especially in regards to the eyes and kidneys. So they said that there is a 30% reduction in the risk of retinopathy for every one point of A1C reduction. Does that make sense? So with every percent, so going down from seven to eight or eight, not seven, eight, eight to seven percent in A1C, for example, reduces my risk of retinopathy by how much? 30%. Wow. So that's, so if you're at like a 10 and you, you know, go from a 10 to seven, 
it's a 90% reduction. I'm sure it doesn't equal yeah. <laughs> to that exact amount, but you know, that's, you know, by that math, that would be like a 90% reduction retinopathy, mm-hmm. which might, that might be true. Yeah. And you know? if you maintain that for a long period of time, because this, just think about if you maintain a 10 point you know, or 10% hemoglobin A1C for mm-hmm. 30, 40 years, or on the flip side, you maintain a 6% hemoglobin A1C for 30, 40 years. Just think about how different those people would end up. Drastic. Yeah. Not only with the eyes, but also your kidneys too. Because mm-hmm. they showed the same thing actually for kidneys, the same amount of reduction for every one point um, in drop of hemoglobin A1C. Mm. But A1C is interesting because other things can affect your A1C, mm-hmm. right? So this isn't even my typical tangent of like, you're not your number, but you know, if you have other conditions that change the life of your red blood cells, or change the status of your hemoglobin, you know, anemias, for example, Mm -hmm. or, you know, anything that would change the half-life or, like I said, the life of your red blood cell would artificially change that number then too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for example, if you have something, if you have anemia and you are constantly destroying your red blood cells very frequently, right? That's actually going to artificially lower your A1C because you have, if your red blood cells are getting destroyed and the half-life has changed that direction, it's going to then alter what that reading says. And so you might think it's better than what it actually is and vice versa. If you have a condition that's going to extend the red blood cell life, like I have a, you know, a condition where essentially my red blood cells are increased in the number of them and therefore because the life has expanded, and that artificially raises my A1C. So mm-hmm. I actually have to go off my average blood sugar. But this is so this is just kind of a tangent of understanding your A1C. But when you change your A1C or just change your blood sugar in general, that's really what the goal is of A1C management is changing your average blood sugar, changing mm-hmm. your st- status of control. When you change that control, you're significantly changing the ability to protect your kidneys, protect your eyes, protect your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things where, again, it comes back to it's a data point. And so mm-hmm. if you can do the very best you can and you know, get it to a, as good a number as you can, you're probably going to be pretty well off. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, a couple other things of why you want to control your blood sugar is just, you know, we kind of talked about short term and just your physical performance, but just your overall body and your musculoskeletal system. Mm-hmm. and your pain levels and therefore since your musculoskeletal system and your pain also your ligaments and your joints you know yeah. all those things really tie into one another and your ability to keep your joints healthy has a lot to do with your blood sugar mm-hmm. and then your abilities your body's ability nociception or pain perception has a lot to do with your blood sugar as well mm-hmm. yeah we've talked about sugar is sticky and so mm-hmm. If you have a lot of sugar, then it's going to be sticking to things. And so it can stick to the muscles and tendons and make them, you know, thicker and get adhesions between muscles. So you get less flexibility when you're trying to um, do something, especially, you know, like we talked about over a long period of time, that's where this builds up. It's not like, oh, my blood sugar is high. That's why today I don't have as much flexibility. It's over that long period of time where you get adhesions between the connective tissue 
Mm, that totally makes sense. Um, so it's, and I think as chiropractors, that's definitely not something to downplay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. regardless if you do functional medicine in your practice or not, you know, the amount of dysregulation you have of your blood sugars, then therefore going to affect your joint health and just, you know, affect that over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Like you were, like you were saying, um, and that goes for all joints, not just your spine, but your knees, your shoulders. I mean, just everything, Yep. you know? And if you want to prevent, prevent achy joints and that type of pain, you know, you want to be able to move your body in the ways you can when you're 20, 30, 40 years old and want to be able to move when you're 50, 60, 70, 80, you know, keeping your blood sugar intact is a, is a great reason to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you can just do yoga for your entire life and ignore your blood sugar. And there you, know, you go. <laughs> the, the answer to life's problems is always to do more yoga. <laughs> I think that's what they say. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm not a big yoga practitioner, but I enjoy yoga. Yeah. No, and it's all seriousness. I'm not trying to knock on yoga. I love yoga. <laughs> but, and then I think one of the biggest reasons then is, you know, all of this, you know, I think for me is not a, I don't want to end up like somebody who doesn't have their legs. You know, it's not necessarily thinking that it's for me, it's thinking about my loved ones and thinking about my quality of life. And thinking about, I want to be able to hold my kids, mm-hmm. whether that means bend over and pick them up with my joints, or it's literally having the fingers to hold my grandkids. Yeah. It's literally thinking about, I want to be able to walk, you know, my future daughter down the aisle. If I have a daughter, mm-hmm. you know, it's thinking about, I want to be able to see my family. Yeah. I want to, yeah. I want to look at them and be able to actually see them. And because these are, and so it's for me, it's a, even that, you know, I'm the age that I am. For me, a big factor is I'm enjoying this life and I want to enjoy the things later in life that's going to come mm-hmm. and the quality of life that I want to have. And, you know, my family and my loved ones and future loved ones are a big part of that. And so, and that, and actually that, that also came to me too when I started chiropractic school. I, w- I used to have these tremors and my blood sugar was a factor of that. And I didn't want to be my blood sugar to affect my ability to do my profession as a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be able to have steady hands. I wanted to be able to, which was, there's plenty of other things into the, that and my confidence level and plenty of other things and who I am as a human. But in terms of reeling it back in with my blood sugar, I want to be able to do the profession and chiropractic is do by hand. Right. So, yeah. So I wanted to be able to do all those things. And for me, those were all big motivating factors um, to really kick myself into gear and really understand why I had to do those things. Because the biggest why that I could think of wasn't about me, but it was about my loved ones. Yep. You know? Yeah. And along those lines, as far as me looking into the future for myself, I kind of look at the people who are already at that, you know, high age and what they, their mindset and you know, what they're doing. Cause when mm-hmm. I talk and interact with older people, at least in this day and age, it seems like there's so many older people out there that are either so fearful to do something that they probably really want to do, but they fear to do it or mm-hmm. they just don't think they can do it. Mm-hmm. So whether that's, you know, traveling or hiking, or like you said, picking up your ki- grandkids 
or doing activities with your grandkids that requires some level of physical activity or some level of mental activity, being able to do that and mm-hmm. not really worry about, oh, I'm going to you know, break something or I'm going to fall or something like that. That's kind of where my mind goes to is I want to be able to do any activity that I want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I think just the overall quality of life, you know, realizing that there's a certain life per moment that Mm -hmm. we all are striving for, you know, in this holistic mindset that you and I practice in, you know, or I guess you do, and I'm kind of practicing being close to graduation. um, I think that doing the things that you want to be able to do is, is really important. Mm-hmm. And that involves your mind, it involves your ability to be here in this present moment, yep. you know, and, and not have those stresses and those mental stresses and thinking, you know, what if, and, and rather, I know if I control my blood sugar now, that I'll be able to be more present in this moment, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the next moment, the next moment, and so on and so forth. So I think all those reasons are, are really important. It all comes down to just, you know, love of life. And because I love this life, I want to control my blood sugar so I can experience this life. Mm-hmm. Experience more of it in the time that you have, whatever, however much time that is. That's right. That's right. So uh, we, we've said a lot of reasons to control your blood sugar, both in the short term and long term. And so, Grady, how do we then just control it? What are ways of tracking our blood sugar to make sure we dial it back in? So it's getting that data checking your blood sugar and checking it often Mm. and getting those numbers in so you can determine where you're at and where you're going. Mm -hmm. We've talked about before the one number in and of itself doesn't tell you much. You could be going down, you could be going up, but two numbers, three numbers, four numbers, you start to get a better picture of what's going on. Mm -hmm. so that data, as much, as much data as you can get, you're going to be able to control things better because you know more things. Knowledge is power. <laughs> yes, knowledge is power, exactly. You're, you would have a bigger data set. You know, you'd mm-hmm. have a bigger range to work from. Um, I, and I was guilty of this, for sure. Even when I was trying to dial in my blood sugar and learn about things, I was still only checking maybe like four to five times a day as a type one. And that's kind of what they recommend, like five to eight times. Yeah. But, you know, I got obsessed. You know, once I was converting from this five times to, once I got a CGM, a constant glucose monitor, if you don't have an insulin pump, I think having a CGM is something, like, I think everybody should have a CGM. Yeah. You know, it'd be cool if you were not diabetic and had a CGM, Mm -hmm. you know, because then you could really monitor those things and you could really see how those, um, eating a whole bowl of Cheerios affects you. Yeah. It you, still you see, isn't good for you. Even if you are not a diabetic, <laughs> you would see, you would see those spikes, you know, yeah. you would see those and you would be able to recognize that. Um, and so I think having it for me, once I had the Dexcom, um, and then I didn't lose it, but insurance changes and money and I had to get off of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, Holy cow. I have no idea what my blood sugar is doing in any moment. Cause this Dexcom is really cool because you can look at your phone, your, your iPhone, your Apple watch or the, the meter it comes with, and you can know it at any given moment. And I got addicted to knowing that. Mm-hmm. And so as a type one, what I had started doing then was 
I would check my blood sugar like anywhere from like 15 to 20 times a day, which might sound <laughs> ludicrous. And it was a little bit obsessive. For yeah. sure. Might've been a little bit neurotic, but I got obsessed with knowing those numbers and those trends. And I would check my blood sugar 30 minutes in between each other and I would have a meal and then I would check it for 15 minutes, 45, minutes. you know, like mm-hmm. I would just be so obsessed with the number, but going through that period of obsession became powerful in that I could better understand what those things were doing. And now I don't have to do that. Even yeah. I didn't have the CG, I don't have Dexcom right now. I have the, the guardian system with, you know, the G670 or 670G or whatever it's called. Um, and, you know, even if I didn't have that, I would be able to be around 10 or, you know, 10 or 12 a day probably, mm-hmm. or maybe just 10 and be able to know, cause I've done the work. Essentially that's what it is. And like you said, the knowledge is the power. And if you, you need to just put in some of that work for a period of time to really get that knowledge and then you can dial it back in. Yeah. 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 Cause some people listening to this are probably thinking, why would he check it 15 minutes after he eats? Cause your blood sugar is going up, right? Well, you don't know that unless you check mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So it, getting that data even after you've eaten or right after you've eaten is important because then you know how your body's reacting to a certain meal. Right. So, you know, you're thinking, I ate this meal with, you know, higher fat and then that my blood sugar did this or I ate this mm-hmm. meal with more carbs and less fat and my blood sugar did this. Now mm-hmm. you have that knowledge to see how your body reacts to that situation and in the future like you said now that you have that data that you did you know a couple years back now you have that data so now you don't necessarily have to check it 20 times a day you can check Mm -hmm. it and it'll be fine but that's because Mm -hmm. you put in the work and you know or at least have a better idea how your body's going to react to a bunch of different situations because the reality is doing that is much more realistic investing in your own health than memorizing the glycemic index. Yeah. Yep. Right. Like nobody's gonna. I mean, I'm not nobody. I mean, if I'm obsessive enough to check 18 times a day, I'm sure somebody's <laughs> obsessive enough to memorize the glycemic index. Yeah. Um. But and even with that, you know, your body's gonna react differently at different times, right? Oh yeah. But you know, this is from a type one's perspective. But if you're type two, I I know insurance will cost different you know essentially as a type one i can be like are you really going to deny me my my appropriate amount of sticks that i need to control mm-hmm. my blood sugar like it's a type one you really aren't limited i guess yeah, the amount of much. um glucometer meter sticks or checker sticks or whatever you're you'd strips. actually call them yeah strips but you know anyways but even as a type two you shouldn't go days without checking your blood sugar yeah you should, st- and you know, whatever the maximum is, is what you should be probably doing. Exactly. You know, if it was a perfect world, you should probably be doing it still like a couple times a day. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, if, if it was me, I would be checking it probably the recommended times that you're supposed to check it for type one. So like five to eight times to see mm-hmm. how my body's reacting at certain parts of the day. Right. Especially as a type two, because a type two diabetic or somebody with that hyperglycemia and that insulin resistance has the power more so than a type one mm-hmm. to really dial it into a way where you don't need the metformin. You don't need yeah. the drugs. I'm not saying everybody, but I mean, yeah. what I'm saying is, you know, a type two has the power to really change what their body can do. Yeah. 
And that starts with understanding what their body is doing. Mm -hmm. And that starts with checking the blood sugar. Yeah. And you can get a better understanding of how your body responds in different parts of the day, but also to specific foods. You can look at glycemic index. That doesn't mean your body's going to react the same as, you know, my body's not going to react the same as Garrett's. The perfect example is with me and Garrett, bananas. So Mm -hmm. Garrett, he likes to eat bananas to bring his blood sugar up fairly quickly. Whereas if I eat a banana, it takes my body like over an hour probably for it to actually kick in right right around there. So if I eat a banana to try and bring up a low blood sugar, I'm screwed. I'm going to go low. Whereas Garrett, that's something that he used to bring up low blood sugar. So but the point is, even with a type 2 diabetic, having that data to see how your body reacts to different foods, I think is really important. And then you record that data. You know, yeah. you can record that on a piece of paper or a specific notebook or binder or something or on the computer on Excel. Or if you have a CGM, it automatically tracks it for you. But mm-hmm. then recording it and then you don't have to study it. But then even if you just look at it at the end of the day or what I've been doing now is, yes, I have a CGM, but every two weeks I download my, my CGM from my Medtronic pump. Mm-hmm. onto the computer and then i am looking at that data myself every two weeks in particular you know i'm always con- kind of like monitoring it as i go mm-hmm. but every two weeks i then i'm looking at the data and saying how is my blood sugar really affecting me right now yeah and i think doing those things it sounds like work but that's the situation yeah and There's it's totally a, worth it it's worth it and it's uh, a level of acceptance and ownership that comes with being diabetic or pre-diabetic and saying, yes, you know, I don't want, it's figuring out why you don't want it, which is, we just spent, you know, 30, I think this is like probably over an hour. This might yeah, be one probably. of the longest podcasts we've done. <laughs> you know, we've just detailed so many reasons to control your blood sugar that it eventually one person, you know, yourself, you need to say, why do I really need to control this? Why is it important to me? Mm-hmm. And once you really resonate with that reason, you can then take this ownership steps and the action because it is work. Yeah. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. If you are diabetic, type one, type two, dysglycemic, some category of diabetes and blood sugar dysregulation, you're going to have to put more work in. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a reason why you're in that situation. It's time to get yourself out of that situation. So it's going to take some work it's this is the situation period Mm -hmm. what are you going to do about it yep you know there's only so much that somebody can be in a state of pouting because it's affects us every day and if you want to do other things in your life this is something that can't be ignored yep and so tracking that data and understanding that blood sugar is really important Mm -hmm. so i agree 100 percent I think we've done a good job rambling regardless, you know, Grady, how did you feel like recently that you, it was something that you overcame with your diabetes? So recently we just got done with the holidays. And so over those holidays, you know, my family still likes, even though I've trained them pretty well on the holidays, they still like to, you know, cheat and make a lot of, you know, sweets and, you know, Mm -hmm. those comfort foods. 
So mm-hmm. I'm in my mind, I'm like, all right, this is kind of like one of the bigger steps to getting them into a healthy lifestyle. So I need to find some healthier options to some of their sweets that they like to have. So I've been trying to find some better recipes and these can even be for, you know, future patients and whatnot. Um, but, but the the real motivating factor was my family. So I'm trying different sweets and recipes for those sweets. And I found some, a couple different things. And so trying to navigate my blood sugar through those things, cause I hardly ever eat sweets. Um, it's a very, a very rare occasion. And if it is, it's usually like a, you know, piece of fruit or something. So this is kind of a new territory for me wait. at least. What's that? Wait, wait, keep going with what you're saying, but I'm getting really excited about what you're saying. <laughs> so continue. So I found these two recipes. Um, one of them was for like these little coconut cookies and they're actually pretty darn good. And they, um, you know, they have very minimal ingredients, which I like because the more ingredients you put in, the more likelihood your body's not going to like it very much. So I made these and they really don't have very many ingredients at all. And my blood sugar actually reacted very well to them. Like I would eat a few and I really didn't calculate too well how much, you know, sugar was in each of them. And my blood sugar stayed pretty level the whole time. Never really spiked once. Um, I just was kind of going off the cuff on it. And I was pretty happy with it. It was kind of good. So I know you're happy that you tried something new and (laughs) you overcame. But I'm happy about it because you had cookies. (laughs) (laughs) And for anybody who doesn't know Dr. Grady, but I don't think I've ever seen him eat a cookie as for over the three and a half years that I've known him. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> and you had brownies too, yeah? Yeah, so then I tried a, like a brownie. It was like a brownie cake mix type of thing. Once again, it only had like three or four ingredients in it. And a little bit different outcomes. Like I think there must have been more fat in this one because it was slower you know, absorption or digestion because – you know, initially I thought, oh, I did that pretty well. I bolus pretty well for it. And then like, you know, two or three hours later, my blood sugar started to spike. So um, it's not nece- not necessarily it's bad. It's just something I personally would have to figure out if I still wanted to eat that. Um, but the ingredients are still pretty good for somebody who is who has a functioning pancreas and pretty. wants to I'm so proud of you because <laughs> you are taking your first steps of being a real human <laughs> and eating like a real human and yeah. having a brownie and realizing that that's something that you can eat and you can accept the ingredients and figuring out how that actually affects your blood sugar. And I'm so, and so not only for the people who don't know Grady, but for the people who do know Grady, he had cookies and brownies <laughs> and it's, crazy um and you know so for everyone at home you know there are ways you can overcome those types of things just like Grady has he's figuring it out how he can eat these things and be uh, a regular person as well as 
even you already are a regular person. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say you're not. You are a regular <laughs> human being. Already. That's okay. People call me a robot all the time. <laughs> um, so that's really cool that you felt like you tried something new and something that you're even doing not just for yourself but for others and then you were able to overcome and you're working on overcoming those challenges so that's really cool what about you what's some of your challenges that you've been facing so i think it's not so much just a challenge i've faced in particular with my diabetes but you know uh this is you know whatever week that i've now been in a new area after moving a new schedule completely new schedule new environment like I'm in a new apartment. I'm in living in a city when before I wasn't living in a city. And there was all these new challenges like sleeping, like my radiator in my apartment screams at me in the middle of the night. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's all these new things that are happening right now. And yet because of the work I've put into my blood sugar and understanding what I need to do, I really haven't had to stress too much about my diabetes which has been a really cool afterthought. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's impressive really because all the stress from not only having like not a good set routine, but also the move and, mm-hmm. you know, new area, new, you know, not technically a job, but like, you know, schooling and all that stuff. It's Yeah, new clinic. Yeah, you know, I'm spending 45 hours in clinic mm-hmm. and, you know, so yeah, it's not – job i'm paying them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know i'm in the clinic for 45 hours and doing all these other things and training for a marathon and training to run and doing all these doing this and mm-hmm. yet i mean I'm not saying my blood sugar has been perfect but it hasn't been like 180 200 300 yo-yo eight. Yeah. it hasn't done any of that it's been hasn't been much, consuming you right like i'm at clinic and it's been it's normally like 80 to 120 the whole time, even around lunch. And I'm on my feet all day and might dip down a little low. And I have some, a couple grapes as I've learned. I can't eat a bunch of grapes. Like I have like 15 grapes or less and yeah. I'm good. And I changed my basal rate and I know how to change my basal rates. And so it feels good to have overcome that after putting in the work and handling a new situation. So that feels good. Yeah, definitely. That's so, awesome, man. And th- these these segments aren't to brag on what Grady and I are doing, but I think it's just to recognize that as a diabetic, you can do these things as well. Mm-hmm. That's really what we're trying to accomplish with something like this. So yep. that being said, I think this, like I said, I think this is the longest podcast we've probably done. Oh, yeah. So I appreciate everybody who's listened and the feedback you've already given us. You know, I think we're starting to build a little more momentum and have some fun with everything. So. I don't know. At least I am. I'm not sure about you, Grady. Oh yeah, definitely. I I'm having a lot of fun with this. Lot, lots of learning curves along the way, but um, mm-hmm. it's fun. Absolutely. And um, you know, we're working on a website, so that's coming soon mm-hmm. too. We're figuring out better ways and more platforms to put the podcast on. And we have some goals with the podcast. You know, eventually this will we'll have a YouTube channel and all these other things. So mm-hmm. um, it's fun to start to build this. In but the same time give value in some of the, or attempt to give value in the words that we're trying to say to everyone. So mm-hmm. cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of the Die Buddies podcast. Um, and we appreciate the time and we'll catch you on the next one. See ya. Peace.
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you found value in today's conversation, we would appreciate it if you gave a five-star review. It really helps us branch out our community and get our message across to those who really need to hear it. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can follow us on The Die Buddies Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or moral outrages, you can email us at thediebuddiespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.